0: Hey guys, you're listening to Episode 89 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. My name is Keelan and I'm here with my co-host and brother Cody. Today we're talking to Kate Gardner, co-host of the Ascendance Podcast and co-founder of Magnify. We've heard numerous stories on this podcast of givers who have had to think through how to wisely approach how and when they plan to transfer any of their wealth to their children. Well today, we have the unique opportunity to talk with Kate who is coming from the other side of that story. Kate is the recipient of a large transfer of stock from her parents towards the end of her undergraduate program. And through that experience, God has led her to a life of profound generosity and kingdom oriented work. Stay tuned to hear all she had to share. If you think this or any of our other conversations are thought provoking or inspiring, take a moment and share it with someone. All right, let's get to the interview. All right, we're here today with Kate Gardner. Kate, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, guys, so much for having me. It's an honor to be here.
0: So, why don't you start us off just telling us a little bit about your background, maybe some of your faith background, some of your upbringing?
1: Absolutely. So, I enjoy trying to interweave a bit of my family legacy narrative alongside of my own faith journey as well. So, I come from a legacy in both areas. I um, went on a personal faith journey, especially starting in high school and having to really define my faith for myself because I actually have always been to very secular schools growing up. So most of my peers were not believers, but I was really blessed by family and especially actually an aunt and uncle who really took me under their wing in that season and caused me to really want to go deep in faith and prayer and that set me up then actually going to Princeton, which has that legacy of faith as well. But as probably most would guess, has become fairly secular, being able to really focus on my goal of serving the Lord in those contexts, most of all, by his grace. And then with inheritance, going back a couple of generations on my dad's side, we had a very successful exit of a company four generations back. And that started a legacy of giving an earlier inheritance to the next generation that trickled down to my dad and he and my uncle were able to start a financial advisory firm. That's become very successful on its own out of that narrative. So my dad wanted to recreate that for his kids as well. So at 21, actually while I was still in college, I was given a stock portfolio of my own, And that's a lot of why generosity and stewardship has become such a theme in the early years of my life.
2: Kate, tell us a little bit more about how generosity plays into your story. We know that's a current passion of yours, but I'd love to hear where that seed was planted.
1: Yes, great question. So, growing up as well, I have very distinct memories of sitting in church and having in our Presbyterian service the buckets for offering passed around. And I always remember my parents giving me and my brother's money to put in the offering bins ourselves. And that was very powerful for me. And it's one of the things I look back on now and see actually foreshadowed a lot of my story and what I've done in my twenties personally. But that sense of being given that value of generosity and that opportunity to even just with my hands, do the act myself was very powerful. And then my parents definitely modeled um, an example of being generous with their time and their resources a lot growing up as well.
0: So, you know, we frequently heard a lot of people talk about the great wealth transfer. I think there's increasing attention about this enormous sum that is going to be passed through generations in the next 20, 30 years, bigger than any transfer in history. And also kind of coinciding with this modern generosity movement over these last 20 years, interestingly, but you have the unique experience of being someone on the other end of that process. And I'd love to hear kind of what that experience was like, especially on a, a spiritual level and, and how you process through some of that.
1: Yes, absolutely. So when I did receive a fairly significant wealth transfer at 21. It was very um, jarring for me on some levels. My parents had definitely hinted to me that this was going to be happening, given again, that it's a part of my dad's story and how he went on to build his company. But I did not know the amount. And so when they gave it to me on my 21st birthday, one of the most powerful things they did in that moment was the language that they couched it in. And I'll never forget being told the amount and then having them say, we're giving this to you because we believe in you and we believe in your gifts and we want to see you get to go and do whatever you want to or or you can with your capacities and your dreams. And I actually love talking about that experience of inheritance as a bit of a perhaps strange in some way, but a parallel in a sense of the gospel. That as we believe, you know, as Christians, that everything that God has given to us in salvation is a gift. It is something that we receive by grace alone. And that then, of course, empowers us to go out and live a life of faithfulness and obedience and response. And so I think that there's an opportunity for those who are going to be the givers of the great wealth transfer to think in those terms, how can the experience of inheritance actually go on to empower the next generation? That's something that I am the most passionate about in talking with those who are considering doing this for their own kids. I think too, that there's a lot of lenses and areas that come up when wealth transfer happens. One is a sense of isolation and difference. And that's definitely something that I have struggled with. And part of what makes me so passionate now about sharing my story and building community around inheritance is because of the way that it can feel very isolating. And in some senses, and I think the harder parts of it are also the ones that make it feel out of your control. I think one of the things I actually do love to talk with uh, potential givers about is actually creating a sense of agency, even for their inheritors or their next gens as well. Rather than just making all the decisions themselves and feeling like it's all on them to figure out what's the right call for their kids, why not make it a conversation? Why not actually maybe even ask your kids? I actually I know a story of a family that decided to also give a larger inheritance to their kids at an earlier age, but before doing so, they asked they asked the two daughters. Do you want this? We want to give this to you. Do you want it? And one said yes and one said no, given where they were in life and, and their own priorities. So these are some of the more spiritual principles I love to talk about and encourage people. And I think, too, just an atmosphere of trust is one of the best ways that families can prepare the next generation for entering into financial legacy is, again, not to make it feel like there's some sort of fear-based power dynamic, but can there really be open communication as much as possible? Obviously, with the priority of every party feeling honored. So those are huge parts of how I have wrestled spiritually with my inheritance narrative early on. I actually, I think I talked to almost no one about what I've been given until (laughs) after graduating for about two years, because it was just too much for me. I had no idea, you know, if it was going to change my friendships. And college. And then for me, being on this pretty radical kind of ministry path, starting in that season of my life, all of a sudden being like, how on earth am I going to combine this larger financial legacy with basically doing full-time ministry? So that's been a lot of where my journeys continue to take me.
2: Yeah, Kate, I'm really interested to hear more about how that moment on your 21st birthday started to change the way that you thought about what you did next. But before we get there, I just want to ask if you are expecting that you might get some level of inheritance, large or small, in the future, or maybe even if you aren't expecting it, what kinds of things might better prepare you to receive something like that?
1: Totally. Great questions. So I'll speak briefly to kind of both sides of the spectrum. To start with the next gens themselves, I think one of the best things they can do is to start living a life that will make them ready, obviously, for inheriting larger amounts of money. Obviously, there's baseline things like living a life of character, not getting waylaid by addiction or other things. Obviously, there's so many layers to why things happen in our lives, but Obviously, just living out a track record, especially as a Christian of obedience to the Lord and truly trying to live out biblical principles. So setting yourself up in that way. And then I think getting as much financial literacy as you can. I wish looking back that I had done more probably of preparing myself. I think that's an unfortunate part of some educational systems are not talking as much about finances And so I think as much as next gens have an interest in learning that themselves or learning how to hire great people. And that's a lot of where my journey has taken me as well. I've worked with multiple different financial teams that have helped me understand the resources that I had available to me and what I could do uniquely, different tools I could use, different strategies I could take. So that's been incredible for me and allowed me to cast vision for what I do now with the resources. And then in terms of the wealth transfers, the creator or the stewards currently, I think as much as possible to make it, as I referenced earlier, an open conversation, the better. I actually have a personal passion from a lot of next gens I've talked to. And then, of course, my own story, that it's one of the hardest things about the next gen narrative. And actually, I think something that can create a lot of even unconscious pressure that next gens feel is this sense of, hey, for those of us with large operating businesses behind us or things like that, you know, I could, as a next gen, inherit hundreds of millions of dollars or nothing, and I have no control over that. And that is so painful. Like, this is something I really try to impart to the previous generation. It makes sense. It obviously is very real. And those of us with this storyline, it's a part of how we'll grow and how we'll become strong and able to be. Um, good human being, shall I say. But I think parents or wealth givers, if they can see that and understand even that, to use a strong word, trauma, that can create subconsciously for their next generations, if it is not talked about, it is a huge deal. And so I think that one of the kindest things that wealth creators can do is to start letting their kids know what the plan is as early as they think that they can. Now, of course, I understand and have so much sympathy in a sense for those with these decisions because yes, it has the chance to really affect your kids. If you tell them you know, too early, let's say that they are gonna inherit a ton of money. But I think when that adulthood comes, when that proven track record of character is there, I think it's an incredible gift and it can actually give your next gen so much more peace about their life because in a sense, one of my jokes I have about inheritance, if it's not talked about, is it's as though I won the lottery without buying a ticket that I wasn't I wasn't even trying <laughs> to become wealthy. And then it became my story. And that is that that messes with the human brain. I really believe that there is actually something in psychology called Sudden Wealth Syndrome. S.W.S. <laughs> is the, uh, the acronym. And obviously, you mostly see that with lottery winners, but I think next gens are probably the largest group that you see this about. And it really, the statistics are really sad about where that money goes. But I think one of the main ways you can start making it a better story from the get-go is creating that sense, again, of trust between generations of saying, hey, you're an adult, and so I'm going to treat you like one. And I'm going to let you know, hey, if there is a lot of money coming your way, I want you to know about it because I want you to be as ready as you can for it, and that's another thing too. I feel like because there's there can be, and again, it makes total sense to me. So much fear, so much kind of like concern about what money can do. Rightly so, because of all the unfortunately really negative examples we have of what money can do to inheritors. But I think, hey, especially even as a wealth creator, don't you want to help shape the vision? of where the money's going to go into the next generation? Don't you want to be a part of that process of seeing your kids learn how to steward it well if it is going to be coming their way? And the last thing I'll say, this is my favorite principle to try to impart in this area, is sometimes wealth creators also make the decision, which is of course completely their decision, that they want to give most of, let's say, the money away. And Obviously, that's beautiful. Obviously, they can make that choice. They can do that instead of making inheritance their focus. My challenge, in a sense, to them is okay, great. Especially, you know, if you're a Christian, you can do that. You can get the spiritual reward from that if that is your sense of conviction of what you're supposed to do. But let me present another idea. What if you could raise children? who you could see as the ultimate treasure and the ultimate legacy of your life to the extent that you could trust them to be the ones to then give that money away. How beautiful could that be? That it's not just your personal legacy of generosity, but it's actually your legacy of parenting that then creates a way that the next gen could then actually have that spiritual reward themselves of choosing to give themselves so that's kind of my my bold statement I love to, to bring to this world to try to help parents and kids, again, see in a sense that money, especially for Christians, right, should never ultimately be the focus. It should be the love for people that should be the undergirding principle of our actions. I know that was a lot of thoughts in one answer.
0: <laughs> Those are some great thoughts. And one of the things that I think is so cool about your story is that a lot of that transfer happened at a young age where you still have a lot of mentors, you know, in your parents and resources to kind of walk through that process as opposed to the kind of default end of life inheritance where then you're really <laughs> figuring stuff out on the fly. And I wanted to kind of follow up on some of the things that you were mentioning. So for somebody who's planning on making some kind of a transfer to their kid's at some point, probably the two biggest questions are how much and when, which is actually one that I had not thought of as much before, but is obviously so important. Obviously, the answers to those two questions are very personal, and it's going to be very different person to person. But my question for you is, what kind of things can parents be looking for in their kids to know when the right time is to help them kind of answer those questions? So, Obviously, two next gens in the same stage of life, maybe in very different stages mentally in terms of being prepared to handle that, steward that, different places in their faith, things like that. And obviously, you have been through a lot of that transition and come out on the other side of it, you know, doing very well and very well positioned in your faith and with a very clear kind of idea of of your role. Somebody else could very much not end up like that. And so what kind of things or signs in your kids can you be looking for to kind of know how to answer those questions?
1: Great questions. Absolutely. So obviously, I'll caveat this by saying I, I thus far, I'm only on the receiving side. So with, with a humble perspective, which is obviously always my goal to, to come into what I share. I think that obviously, if you if it is a Christian family, having a strong faith is going to be such a foundation of values. And when I share more about my story too, what and what I've actually done in my own stewardship, giving and actually feeling called to tithe my inheritance. and so the larger amount of money I gave early out of that was a huge step of obedience that I think has really marked my capacity to walk out this journey well by God's grace, obviously. So I'm sure as you were alluding to perhaps as well, making sure that your next gen is set up to not have addiction areas flare up through adding resources into that. I think an interest in finance could really be one different side of this. Even as I mentioned, that family that I know where one of the daughters said yes to early money and one said no. My sense is the one who said yes actually wanted to focus on things like investing and giving. And I think different kids are going to have different levels of wanting that to be a part of their story or not. Obviously, as we all know, and there's that classic line in our culture, more money, more problems. It's true. Those of us in that bucket, you know, obviously our problems are very different and our problems of privilege, But it is the complexity that comes with having more resources to steward is very real. And it is a time thing. It's a thing that I have made, obviously, my career in this stage of my life because it's been my story and and what I've wanted to do as well. So I think even just sensing that, you know, does a kid want to lean into areas of generosity things like that. I think that would be a great sign to say, oh, you're interested? Yeah. like We have resources as a family that we can give. And I'm glad you brought that up too. I totally agree that the idea of giving early money can be pretty out of the box these days. What's funny to me is I do think it was a paradigm that was much more common in previous generations, which is part of why I think my family's story, you know, went back a few generations with this. But I do think, again, because there can be a lot of fear around money. And again, even in Christian circles, this sense of, hey, money is only for generosity or money, you know, is a distraction, which can be very true. (laughs) But I think that there's opportunity even for us as believers to display our love and generosity as maybe parents with money, a a part of that. And there are many layers to that.
2: Yeah. So Kate... Back to where you left off. You said you inherit early on your 21st birthday and you kept that pretty private as you finished out school. But what was kind of the immediate thought around your 21st birthday once that kind of set in? And then what did you decide to do next?
1: Yes. So as I mentioned, the original experience for me Felt pretty disconnected from my current life and trying to finish my undergraduate studies. But it was there in the back of my head. I also see it continue to grow. That was Those were actually great years from the stock market from 2015 to 2017 or so. So with that being said, um, I saw the account grow. And I, it's actually something that is is an established teaching in the Stewardship world, which I appreciate and I feel like I lived out unconsciously, which is to, if there is that greater wealth transfer that happens in a moment, to give it some significant time to settle and let it just feel like it can it can be, rather than perhaps making more rash decisions because there it is in your account. So I'm grateful that I was able again to really establish this sense of who I was. And again, the fact that my faith journey had been so solidified in my college years that once I graduated, I knew that that was going to, again, by God's grace, be the focus for the rest of my life. So with that being said, I was on track for a more traditional career. I was going to go work in virtual reality, which maybe is not that traditional, but I was going to be out in tech companies in San Francisco. And then I went on a two-month mission trip in Mozambique. Shortly after graduating and when I got back, my job had fallen through and that was very sad for me, obviously, but I see that now looking back as a part of the story of what started to happen. So given the space then in my life, I actually did produce a very short homemade virtual reality movie that I filmed in Africa, which was a great project for the first year of college, but it also became the time for me then to really consider what was in my bank account. And to give myself that space, and that's one of my main things I recommend to people who have financial resources at their disposal, whether suddenly or over time, is to take the time you need to really figure it out. Because, yeah, I think you know I could have continued on a very traditional path, and maybe that is what the Lord would have had for me and be beautiful, but I'm so much happier now and feel so much more aligned in my life journey that I did give myself significant time to Look at these resources and say, Oh my goodness, more than just my parents, the Lord allowed this in my life. And so I'm accountable to it to steward them his way. So, with that being said, I had a pastor in my life in that season who was really strong on teaching that a tithe is on whatever you are given and not just earn for income. So, all of a sudden, I was there and started thinking to myself, Oh, okay. So I guess that applies to me. Again, not my choice, not an earned income situation, but I guess now I'm going to need to do that. And I took it on as obedience. It honestly was not a very warm, happy feeling at the very start, but I felt convicted that that was what I was supposed to do. And so I started to do a lot of researching on tithing. And I came across some teaching, which I love. Actually, I think it was from the same pastor as well. On three tithes that are present in the Old Testament. And there are various theological and academic views, obviously, on these things, but I loved the idea that in the Old Testament, there were actually multiple ways that God called his people to give. The one that people know the most is the idea of the Levitical tithe, which is giving to your spiritual leaders. The two others, in brief, are the charity tithe or the compassion tithe, which was specifically to the poor in your land, which is cool, actually. So every part of the Israelite Um, kingdom if that's the right way of saying it would give to their people it was very specific so it's that everyone was supposed to take care of their poor which i think is really cool and then the final tithe and actually these second two are in deuteronomy 14 and happy to pass on any research about this too if helpful for anyone but all to say the third tithe is called the festival tithe and that was specifically grain that was supposed to be set aside in order so that the Israelites could celebrate all the festivals that God had ordained in his word for them to celebrate and include that the Levites who obviously didn't have resources of their own in that time. So all to say back to my narrative, I decided that this was a paradigm that I wanted to use in thinking about these larger gifts that I was going to be giving. So I actually remember, and again, at this point, this was all very personal on my own. And even actually different than my parents. My parents obviously very much support my generosity, but I think they even were like, wait, what are you doing? (laughs) But I, yeah, I made all these spreadsheets. And what I did is I thought about my whole life up to 21 and who people were, what organizations were that would fit those categories for me. So anyone who played that Levite role, any of these charity giving to the poor type organizations that I believed in, And the festival one, I've had fun thinking through and I've heard teaching. It's even, it can be like funding yourself to go on mission trips or things like that. And I've done a lot of that in this and that season of my life as well. So all to say, I did that. And for some of the gifts, I decided to give a couple larger checks as well. And what ended up happening was that I loved it. I had so much fun (laughs) with this journey. Anyone who gets to write larger checks, I think hopefully has this experience of being like, oh my goodness. I can't believe that like I was able to do that. And some of the checks I wrote anonymously and then some, I some I actually decided to call the organization and offer to make it a matching gift. So we are able to even like double the amount that ended up coming into their accounts. And I just, I mean, a simple way to say it was I just felt so used by the Lord way more than I was even expecting. And the amount of sense of again, joy and meaning and then in a sense, now calling that came out of that season marked me. And and I had some stories. My favorite story of all was actually an organization that had meant a lot to me that I had done their training program with and went deep with the staff and made a lot of friends through the gift that I gave. The <laughs> CEO called me and was like, first off, he was like, how are you able <laughs> to give this amount of money? So I got to <laughs> show my story. But he said, Kate, you had no idea, but that, that number that's going to be coming in is the exact number that n- was needed to save this organization in the middle of this wow. year, in, a, in a giving low point. And that, as I say, like wrecked me. I was like, wow, God, how is it that totally outside of my own understanding and planning that something like a very significant organization was able to to really, I was being used, again, fully outside of myself and my control in that way as as a donor. So things like that, of course, just gave me such a sense of wonder and desire then, you know, coming out of that that early season for me around 23 to keep pouring into this part of my life.
0: So tell us a little bit more about uh, some of that experience of the different organizations that you were able to give to. And then specifically, so I know that was, you know, trying to steward this big tithe that you felt called to. But how did that kind of evolve into more of a longer term mindset? And, you know, so what you're doing now?
1: Yes, great question. So after that tithing season, as I call it, I... Decided to actually work for some ministries to really kind of, you know, especially because I was at that point, I think, 24 or so. So to have kind of that moment of career and investment on the ground. And I'm glad I did that. But I think it also highlighted that I actually really did want to and it was probably a better fit for me to stay in the role of being a donor. Um, just again, I think it, it matches my energy. I love being an encourager and I love trying to, to pray alongside of organizations as well as just give financially. So all to say my experiences working also kind of provided a helpful contrast of, okay, I actually think that I really want to go for it in terms of being a philanthropist again funny and kind of a pioneering path and being a you know 24 25 year old now but that was my honest conviction and i had to get to a point where i really believed that in myself and i think another thing that's really marked my journey in my 20s has been a lot of therapy and a lot of as i was mentioning earlier time that i've given myself even to seek the Lord, even to do spiritual practices like prayer and fasting in order to get to the seasons where I have now by God's grace. So that's something else, again, that I think takes time. I think a lot about my journey if I I could have stayed in these kind of different lanes that I thought about. But I very consistently, when I really did that deep internal check with the Lord and with myself, would say, this isn't the best way for me to serve the Lord. And I've gotten a lot of pushback too. I think one of my areas that I feel strongly about with people who are more, have more of a pioneering call in their lives is that there will be people who will not understand. And the amount of people who have said to me in my 20s that I should, quote unquote, get a job and you know go a more traditional route is very real and has been very painful for me. But I think with that, that has been one of the ways that the Lord has even strengthened me to really define this path under him and with that sense of internal alignment myself because of that. And I said it on another interview recently, actually. So if people ask me point blank, so yeah, like, why don't you just have a a normal job? I'm like, literally, my answer is it's unnecessary. Like, it's literally just unnecessary for my life. I mean, if you look at my finances and in a sense, if you look at my sense of calling and drive. So those are a few more just little tidbits of things that I try to encourage others in, especially those who feel a more perhaps entrepreneurial call. And then of course, if you do have resources at your disposal to again, really take them seriously. I think that there's a real fine line in this area of stewardship of obviously not going out and making your life all about your resources and either spending too much or kind of doing flashy philanthropy and being like, look, this is me. So I think the Bible is clear that you know one of the, one of the aspects of the calling to philanthropy is hiddenness. And it's actually one of my favorite things about it. And to get back to my story too, a book and a movement that's been so significant for me and my journey is called Gospel Patrons. And it is by a good friend named John Reinhardt, who I think is a mutual friend here too. And what that book and that teaching and organization does is help validate this calling of those in business or with resources who come alongside of people in ministry and provide the backing and the support for them. And honestly, what gets me about this calling in a really powerful way is actually the fact that we as givers, that it's not about us. I actually think that's one of the most beautiful things is one of the hardest things, but it also, again, I think requires so much character again. And I, there are definitely ways to do it wrong as we all know, but it's one of the things I think that captivates me, this vision of playing a role that's hidden. I also really like to think of other things like prayer as a form of generosity, because again, it's not about you. It's about, you know, who you're praying for. If, if you're taking that posture so shortly after that season where I was working for ministries in New York, I was riding a cab and I was listening to the Gospel Patrons book and some of these historical examples. There's actually one about a female heiress specifically. And I remember being there in an aha moment, what I might call like a God download, all of a sudden hit me and I was like, I could do this. I could do this. Like I could really build something where that's my calling is to to really be a gospel patron in my own way. And so to make a, a long story short, I went on this journey of saying, okay, you know what? There was actually another quote by a Christian author named Frederick Beechner that was really meaningful me, for me in that season. And my paraphrase of the quote is, your calling is where your greatest joy meets the world's deepest need. And so that was the other kind of main... um Info that, that hit me then in my spiritual discernment with this of, okay, literally, how would I answer that? What is the world's need? What is my greatest joy? And what I came up with was that the world's need is missions, the expansion of the gospel. And I love that kind of directness of that. I'm really wired as someone who wants to see that sort of teaching go out into the world. So the world's need is missions. And then what's my joy? The word I put was encouragement. And that remains to this day. I joke either want to be a professional cheerleader or a professional spiritual mom because that is like so <laughs> my joy of just getting to be like, go, like go serve the Lord. So with that being said, I directly came up with this idea of encouraging missionaries. That was that was what came to me. I was like, okay, if I'm going to be a gospel patron, I'm going to encourage missionaries. And so what I did was that I actually just went on this whole journey of calling missions agencies, just literally cold calling. I found this list of missions agencies through a group called Cross Conference, which I agreed with theologically with the, kind of their posture toward the gospel. And so <laughs> I just started calling all of them. I think it was 20 to 30 agencies. And my joke about this was that this is definitely like the opposite situation <laughs> that I think normally happens where, you know, missionaries <laughs> go out and fundraise <laughs> from their friends. Here I was just being like, hello, I'd love to know if you all have any missionaries that I can support, which was so much fun as you can imagine. I mean, again, these are the things that like make this area of generosity so much fun, I think is getting to kind of like blow people's boxes of how philanthropy can work, that it doesn't have to be this like suck feeling. But if God inspires people to step up in this calling that they should be the ones again, as philanthropists, like we should be the ones out there being like, okay, where can I give? Who can I support? So again, totally by God's grace, had that energy, went for it, and ended up finding through all these organizations about sixty teams around the world. I think in like again twenty to thirty nations to stand behind and support. And what I proceeded to do was actually not only become with that number of people a smaller uh, monthly donor, so I wasn't you know their primary funder, but as you know a donor for all of them. I then also was like, Hey, I'm not only going to do that. I actually want to build a relationship with you. And so I ended up starting to have all these video calls and my joke is I call this my prophetic COVID year because in 2019, 2018, 2019, I started having video calls with people all around the world to check in on them and see how they're doing and pray with them. That was how I described my, um, what I call my greenhouse group, which is this kind of name for this philanthropy ministry of creating an atmosphere where I get to seek to support people financially, relationally, and spiritually with prayer. So that's what I've done. That's still the vast majority of my philanthropy in the last few years. And it's just something that I love to encourage people to think about, you know, whether it's the Frederick Biechner quote of, What is the world's need in your sense of it? What is your greatest joy? And maybe that could provide an answer of a focus with philanthropy because I think that's something I hear pretty consistently with people as well is that they feel lost and I get it. You know, the idea of having unlimited options of either what I could do with my time or what I could give to can be very debilitating. And so I think, again, finding those anchor points of giving vision for philanthropy or really for a life of stewardship is huge.
2: Kate, I think there's a lot of wisdom to the path that you've taken to really explore how an event, a circumstance, a situation that you were in and that you are now in has uniquely prepared you to step into God's calling for you. And you really took your time to explore the fit there. And I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. You did mention gospel patrons and John Reinhardt. We did get a chance to speak with him back on episode 52 For any listeners who want to learn more about John and his ministry, I highly recommend that episode as well. But Kate, you mentioned something so many times, which is relationship and community. And I can't agree more about the importance of that as you go through your journey. Can you share a little bit more about how that theme has led you to magnify?
1: Yes. And to to many parts of my life now. Absolutely. So, As I have talked about this idea of supporting missionaries and just how much fun I've had with pairing my philanthropy with relationships, it's also in this ongoing, as always for all of us, right, journey of being like, God, what is, you know, what is your calling on this season of my life? And what do you have for me? I actually remember having a very specific moment spiritually where I felt like there was this revelation of the Lord calling me in a sense to, to become a missionary myself and specifically to my own people, to this, what I would even call in a sense, unreached people group of next gens and this whole area that we're talking about with inheritance and what I've been through with it myself. And then an amazing network of people that's developed out of that. So with that in mind, the couple last years of my life have really started to focus on that space. And I've been really blessed, really grateful for a variety of mentors and connectors in my life who have invited me into programs even and relationships with those people. One group being Core Venture, K-O-R-E, was a program specifically for inheritors of family wealth that I did in 2021. That was really helpful for me. And that had a couple other Next Gens and dear friends now still involved with that. And with that, with a couple of those same friends actually discerned that there was an opportunity to build community specifically around Christian Next Gens, all kind of given that it was all of our stories. We all had this sense that this was a need, <laughs> to put it one way, to have people with the same values, with the same faith, connect around this theme of family wealth. And it's interesting. One of the main things when I share this with people is, one of the feedback lines I get is, oh, isn't that like a, like too small of a demographic? Isn't that tiny? And I mean, it's definitely a niche to put it for sure, but it's actually pretty extensive. I think one of the things I found actually probably, sometimes with healthy family wealth, shall we say, is that it's very hidden. And again, I, as I've shared, I'm very passionate about intra-family communication, having the family talk in a healthy, trusting way with itself, but it doesn't necessarily need to go that far beyond, right? If, you know, it's not this kind of flashy big thing. So all to say, I think that this demographic of wealthy families and next-gens is actually a lot larger than people think. And then, of course, the statistics that many of us know about the great wealth transfer and, you know, trillions of dollars being passed down, like, this is a big big area that will probably just keep growing. So I'll just say, I get so excited when people see the need and the opportunity of focusing on next gens and pouring into them as people. And so that's a lot of where this community magnify has come out of. And again, a couple of friends and I just decided, we were like, hey, let's, let's build a, if Founder has the phrase a glorified friend group of just those of us who just have this story and know each other and how can we really support one another? So, Early on, we were doing Zoom calls. We were having people share their stories. That's one of my other strategies with Next Gens I've actually found to be effective is allowing them to tell their own stories. Because one of the things I've seen a lot with Next Gens, and you see this even with children of famous people and things like that, is that we get our stories told for us. People are like, oh, you're the son or daughter of this person. Or even sometimes, you know, oh, you're a trust fund kid. I know I, I know you. I know how you work. So, there's whether it's judgment, whether it's just kind of assumption of like, oh, you're just a part of like that family legacy. The opportunity for next gens themselves to come alive in their own identity, in their own story. And again, that role of agency that I talked about earlier, too, even with finances, but also with our voices of being able to say, hey, I'm going to tell my story. This is the way that I see it. This is what I've lived, what I've done. I find that to be so not only healing, but also empowering for them to then go on and live the best lives that they can. So all to say, this is so much of our vision with Magnify is to continue to broaden our network of, I think now, over a 100 people that, again, just a small thing right now, but just a sense of, hey, we are out there. And how do we know each other? How do we even go to like conferences about stewardship and faith and philanthropy together to process things like that? And then another friend, Parker and I have a podcast now too called Ascendants, which is all about having next gens, as I was mentioning, tell their own stories and talk about how they have grown up with family legacy, how they've individuated and become their own person, and then how in some way they've been able to integrate those parts of them and wherever that's taken them in life. So those have been some of the manifestations now in the last few years of this sense of wanting to pour into this specific area.
0: One of the things that I was just thinking, hearing you sharing about some of this, if you think about a different reality where none of us are Christians, right? Like we never came to faith, but then seeing the transformation that comes from Jesus saving each of us and also from inviting us into generosity. I've... Been in, you know, like in a conference or even in church, just surrounded by people of faith, and have had this thought of just like, there is a, you know, a scenario where none of us are here, but God has worked in each of our lives to the point where we're willing to all sing together to the same God and all be, you know, moving in the same direction. And, you know, we all come from different places, we're in different jobs, different situations, and God is using, all these people in so many different ways. And you are just a perfect example of that. You know, you have this story, which you didn't really choose a lot of to, to kind of step into and have just come so alive through that story. And now, you know, there's waves rippling out from that in the place that God has put you in life. And now you can see that through, you know, a hundred other lives that are connected to yours. And it's that, That just gets me excited. And, you know, with all the different stories, we get to hear people from so many different backgrounds and God just radiating out His goodness and the joy of generosity in each of these different, totally different spheres, which is just really cool. So, both Magnify and the Ascendance podcast, you're pulling all these stories who have a lot of similarities. And I would love to just hear what are some of the common themes of conversation or like common questions that you find yourselves discussing that overlap, you know, you've lived your own story. So, you know that, but then I'm sure as you have started to see so many stories of others coming from kind of related backgrounds, you've started to kind of see some themes through that. So what has kind of stood out to you?
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much, Killen, I so appreciate your word and agree with just that the themes of joy and the power and the goodness of God. And that's a yeah, great question. And there are many common themes that we see out of these conversations with fellow Christian next gens. And I think I see this a lot in our culture generally as well, just to broaden it even further. There's a lot of pressure that people put on themselves. And I think one of the the things with family legacy too, and one of the struggles we have as next gens is that we look behind us and we see these kind of massive platforms or mantles or obviously just piles of resource or names and fame associated with them. And, and there's a lot of... um feeling of being overshadowed that again, and sometimes again, even unspoken and again, not even caused intentionally, of course, by, by uh, the previous generations. But I personally have become very passionate about therapy and grow and really spending a lot of time as I am in this season of fresh as well, of going deep in mental and emotional health and I think that's that's one of the main things that, you know, we come back to a lot, even as you know, young people generally again, are how can we spend these earlier years of our lives investing in ourselves to get to a place where we're healthy enough that we can live the kind of greatest lives of impact for the Lord that we can. And so I think I continue to Try to encourage a lot of my friends and magnify and just live out myself right now, too, of, of giving myself time as I've marked in kind of these different seasons of my own life. I've shared as well of, you know, whether it's, yeah, working with multiple therapists, whether it's practicing deep internal things, obviously spiritual disciplines like prayer that allow us to take that time of reflection most of us, and I would say, Christian next friends in general, we feel the weight of the verse to whom much is given, much is required, And I really want people to feel like they're not kind of again, going on either side of, let's say if it's a narrow path of stewardship falling into either ditch of either too much, let's say embracing the money and making their lives all about entitlement and you know pleasure in this world, of course, especially as believers, that's not the goal or ignoring and denying this side of our lives. And I can go back to, you know, parable of the talents and the man with the one talent that he wasn't willing to try to multiply it. And again, I don't even think that needs to be financial resource that some of us in the next gen narrative have that, that, you know, I don't need to think about an income per se every year, but I do need to think about my time and my giftings and how to see that, flourishing and multiplication is happening through my narrative. So there's definitely a lot of struggle, I feel, with people just getting lost in that sense of what do I do? How do I understand this this legacy that I come from? But also that there is so much hope. And again, I think especially if young people can take the time they need to dive into their story, whether it's through programs therapy, relationships. And that's what we really try to do with Magnify is say, hey, you're not alone. You know, again, another thing we talk a lot about with wealth is a feeling of isolation, a feeling other people around me don't understand. They don't know what it's like to have all this money and power that I sit on, you know, for lack of a better term, and try to, try to see it all as the Lord's and not my own. It's something where I think the power of community and again, encouraging people to be honest and open and vulnerable and then to really go into their own narratives with the Lord and get to that place of feeling like, again, that they can fully acknowledge all these different sides of their own experience. I actually think people have a really hard time even giving themselves grace because a lot of us with that family wealth background are very aware the, the judgment and the privilege that surrounds us. And one of the main things I try to encourage people to do is actually to receive compassion in these areas, that this is a hard story on many friends. Now, obviously people may not understand that and rightly so because these things are privilege and they are gifts. But I think to really, again, spend the time that we need to acknowledge the fullness of our legacies and where we come from, and what we have access to, well, that that will be the path to allow us to then go into our journeys, right, with career choices, with family choices. So those are again a couple more, just kind of big thoughts. But yeah, we uh, we love talking about everything from vocational discernment to relationships with previous generations to future family decisions, finding a spouse to. How to steward your time if you don't have to work for money. There's so many different sides to that. That um, is just such a gift to have friends in those areas.
2: Well, Kate, I've really enjoyed hearing some of your perspective and the wisdom and hearing about your journey. But in some ways, it feels like you're just getting started. Can you tell us what you're most excited about in the coming years?
1: Absolutely. Yes. I sure hope so. As a 29 year old, although I joke, I joke about being retired, which is, which is funny, but it has given me a real passion. Actually, I do think one of the main areas I would love to keep investing my time in is actually walking with people in this kind of spiritual support realm that I love to, to be in with my time who actually are stewarding capital themselves. I think one of the distinctions sometimes that comes up in the family wealth, family legacy space is that there's a wide variety of people who have access to resources and autonomy with them and people who don't. And again, that's every family's decision of what they choose to do with, is there access to resources early or not? So with that being said, I think I really, my joke, one of my dreams right now is the idea of having a financially independent support group. Because I really do think actually, even back to the, your great earlier question about how much money, one of the main thresholds I encourage people to think about is the threshold of not having to work for money, which in a sense is just a couple million dollars, right? Is a retirement amount. Some, sometimes, obviously, it all depends on what your what your lifestyle habits are but I do think that's a real threshold. And so uh, even mentally speaking, one quick story I'll share. It's uh, another study, I think out of Yale University, if I remember correctly, about selling things, marketing. And the study was around selling jams in a supermarket. And as the story goes, there was a jam stand with something like seven or eight jams. And so people would come up and taste the jams and buy some or not. And then soon after they did one with something like 23 jams. And what they found from the psychological study was that the jam stand that had more jams had more interest on the front end. People were like, whoa, two, like tw- more than 20 jams? I'd love to look at this. I'd love to see this. But fascinating enough, the purchase rate for the more jams that were presented was way under that that first jam stand was seven or eight jams. And I think that is such a helpful study that shows what happens in the human brain when there are unlimited options. And again, with the financial situation of I do not have to work for money, this like 23 plus right jam paradigm of what on earth I do is, and and staying motivated and staying in a place of vision is huge. So all to say, that's my like I would say main area that I'd love to keep developing more, whether it's friendships or support spiritually for people around in my own processing of that side of my own journey as well. And the other thing I love talking about right now too is creative forms of generosity. I think because I've done so much work on the front end of figuring out my financial generosity and my passion for supporting missionaries and how solid I feel in that, Now, more of my time is spent thinking through other resources in my life that I can be generous with beyond just purely my financial capital. And one of the main ones that's become for me in the last few years is real estate and specifically my home, literally just my own physical property and hospitality. And what's possible with opening up space for people. And again, it's fun for me to even keep reflecting on that Frederick Buechner quote, because I would say as an extrovert, as someone who absolutely loves gathering people and connecting people, the idea of opening up physical space for that to happen is so energizing, brings me so much joy. So that's become a huge theme of my story and something I've debated expanding to, whether with more properties or different opportunities. I have so many stories from the last few years of, especially with the network I've built through my philanthropy and through different things I've done earlier in my life, that now I've been able to present my, I literally bought a larger home two and a half years ago, primarily for the purpose of having it be an open space for people to come. And people have come (laughs) and I have so many stories and I've also had so much fun in general of how I've been able to offer hospitality. So I think, again, thinking through creative forms of generosity is one of my things, especially maybe for women or for people maybe who don't have as much of the financial yet perhaps other next gens with less of that story early on, that there are still so many ways that we can practice philanthropy and cultivating that spirit and that heart of generosity that can also be really good matches for people's gifts. Maybe again, if they don't as much want to think about numbers, but they do want to connect people or do any number of things that will still kind of go on to serve the Lord in um, these ways of giving. So those are some of the things I'm excited to keep seeing where they go.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, what comes in the next five or 10 years for you as well. So where can people learn more about Magnify and Find the Ascendance podcast?
1: Oh, thank you so much. Well, if anyone wants to get in touch with me through you, I'm happy to do that uh, personally. And then we do have a website, magnifygeneration.com. If anyone wants to see that, that just has some of our basic language for the vision we're casting with this group of Christian Next Gens. And I think it has a contact form on it if anyone wants to get in touch with me and that team that way. And then Ascendance podcast, and Ascendant, by the way, it's the word ascend and descendant combined. And it's the idea of as Next Gens ascending into our own family legacy kind of out of what we've been given as well. So that podcast is available on Apple and Spotify as well. And I would definitely encourage people who want to hear even more examples of how families have chosen to do legacy or even the establishment of things like family foundations and family offices and things like that. My co-host and I've had a lot of fun getting to learn more about those stories.
0: Yeah. And I encourage everybody to check that out. And so, uh, you know, we like to leave some time at the end of every episode for, our manager's minute, which is just one practical action our listeners can take to step into their role as stewards and manage God's wealth wisely. So Kate, do you have a suggestion for our listeners today?
1: Yes, absolutely. I, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, actually really love thinking about this sense of holistic generosity and how to support the people that we feel called to support with multiple kind of prongs, finances being one, but there being other ways as well. And the one I wanted to leave everyone with is the form of prayer. Again, just those of us who are believers, really knowing that God answers prayer. One of my favorite things I've been able to do, whether for my missionaries also with a couple angel investments I've made into small Christian led companies, as well as other kind of bigger nonprofits that I support The idea of trying to seed more prayer, whether with those groups, one of my favorite things to do as a donor and investor is to come to them and say, hey, I would love to pray for you guys, even with you guys. Can I do that? Would you like that? And it's led to some amazing prayer calls, different opportunities to even gather other supporters of those groups together, build community and pray for the people and the mission And even too, just if that feels like too much and people don't have time for those things, which I totally understand, the thought of just praying for the people that you already support. I um, am a big believer in actually to reference uh, another historical figure, George Mueller, who's written a wonderful autobiography from the 1800s. And one of the practices that I picked up from him a couple years ago was the idea of having a daily prayer list and In typical George Mueller fashion, just matter of factly deciding that he was going to pray every day for these people and just keep track of, did they get saved today? (laughs) What happened um, in their lives? And then in his autobiography, he would say, well, after 41 years, my uncle finally came to the Lord. So I loved that testimony. And so we'll see how long I can keep it up. But I've been able to create a practice of a, a prayer walk, actually. That has been one of my something I look forward to now every day of when I'm going to get to go out and seek to pray over the people that I support p- financially, as well as just people in my life, obviously, that I love and want to see grow, whether in salvation or discipleship or, or different ways. So love uh, to encourage people to keep thinking about the power of prayer and how that could be a way even, again, beyond financial resource that they can give and sow into people and causes that they love.
0: Yeah, I love that. And really, I think one of the themes that we've seen is that generosity and prayer constantly go hand in hand, and they just really hit the heart right in the same way. And so I love That connection there. Kate, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. It has been so fun getting to hear more of your story and how God has just continued to unveil new layers of generosity and adventure in your life. And uh, I'm excited to see where things go from here.
1: Thank you so much, Cody and Keelan. It's been such an honor and a joy to speak with you both today. Thank you for what you're doing and the incredible impact that you're making through the Finish Line podcast. And I know in so many areas of your own generosity and service to the Lord as well. It's an honor to have this time together.
0: Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you want to find any references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com episode 89. Before we finish up, I have a quick question for you. Have you ever stopped to answer the question, how much is enough? A financial finish line is designed to help you do just that. Our 90-day finish line pledge breaks down the process into three easy steps. Step one, define how much is enough for you and your family to spend in a single month and use that as your monthly spending budget for 90 days. Step two, as God provides money to manage, set aside any margin outside of your finish line into a separate bank account. Step three, after 90 days, explore the million ways you can use that margin you've set aside to create joy, purpose, and impact in God's kingdom. Want to learn more? Check out our website at finishlinepledge.com. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time.